welcome to another edition of the Daily Sun Sports Podcast. My name is Jeff Shane, specialty editor at the Daily Sun, and with me as always is Drew Schultry as we talk about an opening win, a very hard-fought win for the Village's SC as they go on the road to open their USL 2 schedule, beating Tampa Bay United on a late goal. We'll talk about that in a second, and then when we come back after that, it will be golf, and a lot of golf, because it was a jam-packed Memorial Day weekend with five tournaments, uh, including one that was local uh, as the Epson Tour came through town, the LPGA's developmental tour, but uh, some uh, playoff wins, some interesting uh, victories, uh, both on the PGA Tour, LIV, and the Senior PGA Championship. But Drew, you uh, made the trip out to beautiful St. Leo, Florida, and it really is. It's a nice little campus. It is a nice campus, yeah. I'd never actually been on campus before. I'd driven by it, but never been on. It is nice. And uh, it came away with uh, some good news for Villages SC fans with a one nothing victory on a goal in the 89th minute. So a hard-fought win. Yeah, it was one they had to work for, for sure. And, you know, every time you're talking about a first match of the season, especially in USL 2, when, you know, the players are together for, you know, two weeks for the most part before that first match, you never know quite what to expect. And I think the Villages SC looked really good. I think that there's some... You know, obviously some things that they can clean up a little bit, but to go out, get the victory, to persevere through 89 really tough minutes and especially controlling most of the game the way that they did, I think it was the right result for the way that the game was played, and they were certainly happy to come back with the three points. Now, you had mentioned uh, in the preview that ran on uh, Saturday morning that the Villages SC was the last team in the division to uh, get a game uh, on the schedule. So the fact that Tampa Bay United had at least one game under their belt already, was that noticeable and was that something that TVSC had to overcome? Well, I don't I don't know that you could necessarily tell right away, especially in the first half, the Villages SC looked like the team that had been playing together for longer. It, I was really surprised at how well they were able to control possession, the cleanness of the passes, uh, the communication between the players was really on point. And so it seemed like this is a group that has developed chemistry very, very quickly. And that was something that a lot of the players said during the the interviews with, that I had with them leading up to that first match was that they felt like they were coming together very quickly. It helps that there are a lot of guys that were with the club last year or two years ago, some that were there for both. So there were some, some through lines, some continuation there, but a lot of new guys in that lineup as well, including the keeper, both center backs, uh, and so there was a lot of, you know, kind of feeling each other out or you would expect there to be. And they looked like the team with a little bit more experience by the time they got out there, really controlled possession in the first half. I'd say a conservative estimate would be about 70 percent possession wow. in that first half. So, I mean, I, I hesitate to go higher than that just because it's it, it seems kind of absurd for soccer. But they really did have the ball for almost the entirety of the first 45 minutes and, uh, you know, were able to move it up and down. A couple of, of good stops by Tampa Bay, a couple great saves by their keeper, Tom Miles. So I think that overall the the one nils maybe undercuts a little bit of how good of a performance they had. But I mean, on the whole, I was really impressed with what they were able to do with so little time to prepare for this match. And finally getting that breakthrough goal in the 89th minute, a little bit of a it was a it was a good shot, but then a funky bounce that actually put it in the back of the net. Yeah, so I, I think the biggest thing is it was a great sequence and it started at the back, kind of worked its way through the midfield. Lucas Mauro had dropped back into the midfield with some of these late substitutions, gave the villages a little bit more offensive push uh, from that midfield, which had been doing a good job. But Anderson De Silva was just trying to get really aggressive 
aggressive there in the final 10 minutes or so when he was making those last subs and gets it up top. Uh, he and Austin Lukasik with some nice combination play. They get it up top, get a nice cross, uh, actually ends up being a deflected shot. And then Nikolai Munch comes in, uh, just comes flying in and I'll, I'll as kind of by way of a correction here, I'll say I was screened off the shot and the way he went and I thought it was a header. He, I, having the benefit now of replay, being able to see it the next day, it was a kick, uh, but it went off of the crossbar and down off the head of a defender who was coming in to try and help clear and goes in. So technically it was an own goal. Uh, it will not actually be credited to Nikolai Munch, but he's the one who kind of finished off the play that gave them the win. Unfortunate break for Munch because uh, it sounded like it was a really great setup, but uh, yeah, in hockey, they call it puck luck, I suppose, yeah. but it still went in the back of the net. And I guess the question with that is, is that the theme of last year was all of these chances created by the Villages SC that hit the crossbar, hit the post, went just wide. Is that a continuing theme, or do we just chalk that up to first game of the season? I think first game of the season, Tampa Bay is also you know a tough matchup for them. They played them extremely physically, uh, and that was called a little bit more early than it was late. I felt like the refs really let a lot run in the second half, and that kind of favored Tampa Bay, especially late in the game when players are getting tired. And you know you make some mistakes when you're playing physical, and when those aren't being called, you get away with a little bit more. And Talking to Pedro Santos afterwards, I asked him, I was like, did it feel like a very physical game to you guys out there? And he's talking to me through a bloody lip. So it was maybe kind of a dumb question. But yeah, I think that there's obviously going to be some some growing pains like we talk about. And I think that finishing will come. I said I know I said that last year. I just think that this year there's been such an emphasis on having to score these chances and. I think that they had opportunities last night. Miles made a couple of really good saves that uh, kept them from getting two or maybe even three goals. One of them was almost when it was kicked, I thought for sure it was going in. He made a great job. Uh, he had to rotate back from his right to his left and dove over, made a one-handed stop on the goal line type save. So, I mean, it's you know it's, it's tough to say for sure that they will score more, but I have to assume that they will. Last year was... Uh, it really felt like an outlier. It was their lowest scoring season in club history. So I, I think that with this group, they're going to be back closer to where they were, where they're averaging about three goals a game. Who else was impressive in this season opener? I think that uh, both wingbacks, Munch and Niklas Vitter, were, were very, very good. And they were awesome all last season. Lucas Mauro looks, um, you know, I would say... 20 to 30% better than he was two years ago when he was here. And that's really saying something because he was one of the best players on that really, really good 2021 team. Um, I really liked the combination of Pedro Santos and Takeru Moriyama in the midfield. The two of those two guys, Pedro was here two years ago. Takeru was here for the first half of last year had some uh, international travel issues and so wasn't able to stay for the back end of the season, wanted to finish out his commitment, so he came back to the Villages SC this year. And the two of them, the combination play and the toughness in the midfield, I think is huge. The two of them were so scrappy, uh, really didn't allow Tampa to get much going forward out of the midfield. Uh, and, and, you know, those are two guys that when they lose a ball, they're fighting to get it back. There's no counterattack when you take a ball away from one of those two. So I think that that those couple of guys are really going to make an impact and those are kind of you know central figures for this team from a from a a personality standpoint Pedro's now the captain with Yago Lopez retiring to the sideline and Takeru I think you when you see him fighting for every ball you you can't watch that and then not do it when you're standing you know one position over from him later in the game so I think that those two guys really kind of set a tone for this team and I was really really impressed with how they played on 
Saturday night. And I guess the the biggest question going in was the center of the defensive line. New center backs, new goalkeeper. Um, you got to have chemistry in those positions, but uh, they wound up with a clean sheet. Yeah, and I thought those guys played really well. Leonardo Andandre and uh, Henrique Mendez, I thought, were were excellent all night. Both of them uh, were very, very solid backstops. They didn't leave a lot of work for Matias Tiepo, making his first start for the Villages SC as well. Uh, Tiepo had, really had one tough save to make, and I believe it was off a set piece. He kind of had to make a jump, and he did it fairly comfortably, uh, jumped up, popped one up in the air, and then caught it. So, um, you know, I, I thought the, the, the back line looked really good. They did a great job of feeding forward as well. So they seemed to be all around players and there weren't a lot of miscommunications. There wasn't a lot of chasing after guys. There wasn't a lot of having to recover for the other center back who was out of position. So I was pretty pleased given that that was the big question mark coming into the season. Pretty pleased to see that they were playing as well as they are already. So all in all, a solid performance by the Villages SC. Now this is the first of three meetings against Tampa Bay United. So this could get a little uh, more heated, I suppose, as the season goes on. Yeah, like I said, it was played pretty physically. I don't think there was a lot of love lost between those teams, uh, especially after the game and after the result. Um, yeah, there's going to be two two more of these games at the range, and I think that every single one of them could be as tight as this one. I think it's, you know, it's really, really hard to beat a team three times. Uh, especially a good team. So it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Home field advantage obviously will probably help the Villages SC a little bit. Um, I I will say they've had to play on artificial turf, which historically has been uh, sort of a downfall for them in the past. They've not done well on it historically. Uh, So for them to go out the first game, play as well as they did, have the passing efficiency that they did on a surface that was unfamiliar and a little bit different. Anderson De Silva did say that the turf at St. Leo's held the ball a little bit better than some of the artificial turf that they've played on before, where it kind of skips and rolls a lot more. But, um, you know, uh, it was good to see that. But um, it'll be interesting to see what happens the next time these two teams face off. Because you never know, by the end of the season, these teams could look completely different. Just development, players in and out, that kind of thing. So uh, there's a a lot that can change between now and then. Who knows what the standings will be, whether one of these teams has already locked up a playoff spot or the only playoff spot, or if one of them is out of the running. You you never know what you're going to see by the time these games come around in mid to late June and early July. And that that third game is a byproduct of splitting the Southeast division and, and going into two subdivisions, I suppose. Yes. The Southeast division is now just the upper half of Florida for the most part. And there's now a South Florida division as well. So they added a couple of new teams, uh, one of whom we'll see later this week, but uh, the result was they split the Southeast into two smaller divisions, which is something that we see elsewhere in USL two somewhat, uh, somewhat commonly that Southeast division has been one of the larger ones, certainly in the Southern conference for a long time. And I, you know, just early impressions. I'm not a huge fan of the way that it's split up. I understand why they did it. I don't know if there was a vote between the teams. That's something I'd like to find out. But I know that the South Florida teams were probably happy to just be able to travel amongst themselves and not have to go up to Jacksonville and come up to the villages and stuff like that. So, uh, But what it does is it kind of dilutes, I think, a little bit the division. And uh, part of the problem for me is that the best teams in the division over the last few years are all concentrated now in right. the southeast. None of them are in the south, the, the South Florida division. So uh, you look at the the past winners of this division. You've got the Villages SC, Nona, uh, Tampa Bay was a runner up. 
Florida Elite was a runner-up, and that's that's your northern half, and you've got two newcomers in Brevard and Swan City. But, like, Weston, Miami City, FC Miami, like, those teams haven't won the division ever, and now they're one of them is going to get a pass into the playoffs while Nona, Tampa Bay United, Florida Elite, and the Villages SC, and then, you know, whatever we get from Swan City and Brevard are all going to have to beat up on each other for one spot now to get through to the Southern Conference playoffs, one of six spots. If this was the World Cup or the Gold Cup or something like that, we'd be calling it the group of death. Yeah, essentially it is. I mean, again, you're taking all of the – it's geographically split, so that's why, you know, those teams ended up in the same division with each other. But uh, you really took almost the top and bottom half of what we've seen if you average out – you know the last three seasons basically post covid the teams that have had the most success are all the ones that are in this new southeast division so no let up at all for the villages sc and in fact they have a very short turnaround uh, drew as you mentioned uh they come back for a midweek game on wednesday night uh it will also be on the road in melbourne against one of these newer teams brevard sc yeah really unsure what we're going to see from them yet i haven't had a chance to you know, kind of dive into their standings, break down some of the results. It's it's so early that you don't really know what to expect. I haven't, uh, because of the holiday, I haven't had a chance to talk to Anderson De Silva yet, but I'm hoping to find out what he's learned from the scouting report on them. And like I was saying before, you know, you never know what you're going to get with these new teams. Nona came in last year, won the division. We saw Tampa Bay United two years ago come in, be the toughest challenger to the Villages SC, handed them their only loss of that 2021 season. They were runners up. Florida Elite, their first year, was the toughest challenger to the Villages SC. Again, that was their only loss of that season was to Florida Elite. And I don't believe that they ended up making a playoff, but that was when it was a smaller field of just four teams. But, I mean, there's it's feasible, and we have a recent track record for teams coming in and being competitive right away. So it wouldn't shock me at all if at least one of Brevard or Swan City is in the mix this year. Not acting like an expansion team, right. so to speak. Right. So if you want to make the drive, it is Wednesday uh, at Brevard SC in Melbourne, and their home opener is... Uh, June 10th, actually, they'll get a, a nice little layoff in between Wednesday night's game and their home opener. And again, just a reminder, they will be at the HG Morse range this year, trying to supply a little bit more accommodation for the fans than just a set of bleachers. They'll have the, the full stadium, the concession stand, golf cart accessibility, all that. So uh, June 10th at the HG Morse range will be the first home game of the season for the Villages SC. And hopefully uh, we will have a Buffalo team that is and 2-0 going into that home opener. That will do it for the opening segment of the Daily Sun Sports Podcast. When we come back, Drew and I will switch roles a little bit as we talk a lot of golf. Again, a busy, busy weekend on Memorial Day weekend, and we'll have it all covered right after this. From high school heroes to softball to the latest on the Villages Fairways, the Daily Sun brings you the best in local sports. Stay informed with the nation's fastest-growing newspaper in the nation's fastest-growing community. Subscribe to the Village's Daily Sun by calling 352-753-1119. Wrapping up today with a lot of golf talk. As Jeff mentioned earlier, it was an extremely busy week in the sport. Uh, We had a PGA event, a live event, a senior PGA event. We had LPGA match play. We had Epson tour. We had the NCAA championships. It was pretty much everything you could ask for if you were a golf fan. We will start with the PGA Charles Schwab Championship, a new name. Uh, one we I don't think we've ever mentioned here on the podcast before. Emiliano Grillo was our winner at the Schwab. Well, and the reason we haven't mentioned him is because it's been seven years and seven months since he won in his PGA Tour debut. And, of course, we didn't have a podcast back then. But uh, Grillo finally 
uh, breaks the long drought. Uh, I think a lot of people, when he came out straight out of the box and won in his very first start, thought, uh, you know, here's another young talent coming up on tour, but it just didn't happen. But uh, Grio has actually had a little bit of a renaissance. He's been on the leaderboards uh, in early rounds for uh, a little bit here in the uh, PGA Tour season. And sometimes it just takes a little bit of uh, a hot week and honestly, a little bit of luck to get through it. And uh, he came from behind to catch Adam Shank and win in a playoff. I guess if you're going to return to the podium, you may as well make it a, a fun tournament for everyone to watch. Well, and that it was in that uh, he would have been able to run away in regulation, but his tee shot at 18 uh, pushed it too far to the right, and the 18th at Colonial, there's a viaduct there, a waterway, and so it actually went into the water, which brought all sorts of possibilities into play. You could declare the uh, unplayable lie, pick it up and drop it where it crossed into the viaduct, or because it's really, really shallow water, you do have the option of playing it. However, with the water in the viaduct, it's running. And it kept pushing the ball backwards toward the tee so that it's really hard to assess your shot when it keeps just trickling back a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. And uh, from all estimates, by the time Griot said, heck with it, I'm just going to uh, take the unplayable and make a drop, the uh, viaduct had pushed his ball about 50 yards back toward the tee from where it was. You still have to get through uh, the, the trees and you know try to assess a shot. And yeah, at some point, I think perhaps even the PGA Tour official said, Emiliano, you have to make a decision here. Yeah. And uh, he took the safe play, managed to get the double bogey out of it. It... it Put him still in good position. Adam Shank was a, a couple of groups behind. Adam Shank did have a chance to win in regulation, missed the birdie putt. They go to extra holes. This time, they both of them play 18 the way it should be played. Took pars with that, and then a birdie at the par 3 16th puts Griot back in the winner's circle. Over on the Live Tour, we had a couple of known names, a couple of, uh, I wouldn't say big names, known. but guys that guys that we end. know of uh, <laughs> at the end, uh, at, uh, going at it at the end. Harold Varner holding off to beat Brandon Grace at Trump National. And his first victory on U.S. soil. He'd won a couple times as a professional, once in Australia, once in Saudi Arabia last year, but uh, finally getting a chance uh, to win reasonably close to home. He's a North Carolina guy and uh, made a very nice birdie on the final hole to uh, hold off Brandon Grace by a shot. And so a good uh, win for, really, our uh, sports editor Chris Siegel's favorite golfer because he's an East Carolina guy. Uh, Brooks Kepka, I guess we should mention, coming off that PGA Championship, he finished 12th in that tournament. And we kind of expected a little bit of a letdown. And we know Brooks gets himself up for the majors. And uh, I always thought it was a little tough to ask these guys to come back after major. I know with LIV trying to maybe maximize audience, uh, the week after major works a little bit better than others, but uh, it probably would have been nicer if Brooks could take some time off. And by the way, he didn't get to DC until very, very late because he was at both of the Panthers playoff games yep. before heading up to DC. Uh, we also had the Senior PGA Championship this week. Two titans of that tour, Steve Stricker, 
just getting by Padraig Harrington uh, to sweep the first two senior majors this year. Yeah, Steve Stricker is uh, kind of becoming a uh, major maven uh, on that tour. He's now got five senior majors under his belt already. As you say, the first two this year, uh, winning the senior PGA two weeks after winning the region's tradition, uh, made up a deficit on Harrington. Harrington kind of gave him a little bit of an opening late on Saturday and then didn't play all that consistently on Sunday. So it allowed Stricker to uh, force a playoff and then Harrington with uh, just a poor drive at uh, the first playoff hole. Stricker was able to win it with a par. Uh, As I say, another big victory. He is the sixth man to win the first two senior majors in a year. Although it's kind of odd. They went like three years, very jam-packed in the late 80s, early 90s, and then they went like 20 years without having this, and now the third time in the last six years. Bernard Longer did it in 2017. Alex Chaka did it two years ago, and now Steve Stricker, two for two in senior majors. We also had the LPGA match play this weekend, and uh, Jeff, why was it such a big week for international players? It's a good question. I think sometimes international players maybe play a little bit more match play. I don't know enough about Asian golf necessarily or European golf, but it was uh, a big international event. Only one American made the quarterfinals on Saturday, and it was an all-international group of finalists, and eventually it was Thailand's Pajari Anarukarn winning her second career LPGA title and beat uh, Japan's Ayaka Furure in the final. And uh, Anarukarn uh, had a really strong Sunday, eight birdies in the semifinal to defeat Lynn Grant, who oddly enough was making her first LPGA start of the season in the United States. She'd played a couple of the Asian events, but because of COVID restrictions, could not get into the United States to play until this event here at the match play. Uh, We also had Epson Tour Golf happening just a few minutes down the road in Mission Inn, uh, about 20 minutes from you, depending on where you are in the villages. 28 minutes, according to uh, the caddy for one of the players who uh, was participating. There we go. For the folks who weren't able to get out there and watch it in person, what happened over at Mission Inn? South Korea's Jiwon John, who uh, was a rookie on the LPGA a couple of years ago, uh, did not uh, keep her card or did not keep enough status. She still has her card, but did not keep enough status to get a lot of starts on the LPGA. But this was her birthday week, and she celebrated it really well because she shot 7 under 65 I'm sorry, 766 in the opening round, led after the first round, uh, fell behind uh, Roberta Lidi of Italy after the second round, but just played a really solid round of golf for 17 of 18 holes. She had a poor chip shot that caught a downhill slope and rolled into the water, but if not for that, she would have been an absolute runaway winner. She, As it is, she won by two. Uh, when all was said and done over uh, South Florida pro Lindy Duncan. I also want to give a shout out to Agat Lane, who uh, finished T11, but she had a couple of local fans as of last week. Uh, she played so. in the in the Pro-Am event with a couple of our local golfers, Katie Allen from the Villages High School and then Lily Dunn and Isabella Weaver of Tiberius High School as well. So nice to see her. She's still in the top five of the money list for the Epson Tour, I believe, just, just slid down into fourth from third. But um, 
you know, cool to see her do well this weekend after that. And then we also have the NCAA championships this weekend. And it's a Florida Gator who is the men's individual champion as Fred Biondi made a little bit of NCAA history. The biggest final day comeback to win the NCAA individual title. He began yesterday five shots behind Ross Steelman of the Georgia Tech and uh, Bionda pl- played a very solid round, stayed within himself, but uh, needed some help and got some help when Steelman bogeyed his final three holes. That allowed Biondi to take a one-shot victory. Uh, Fred Biondi, he's from Brazil. He is the third Gator to win the NCAA men's individual title. Nick Gilliam back in the 90s and Bob Murphy. Uh, for those that may remember Bob Murphy, but uh, he was a Gator back in the 60s and won the N- the first NCAA title for them. Also, uh, some news on the women's side, even though we decided all of that last week with Wake Forest winning the team title after Rose Zhang produced the first back-to-back individual titles on the women's side. Now Rose has decided, as we all expected, she's turning pro. She will make her LPGA professional debut this week in New Jersey. Well, I don't, we just take that as our segue into that event. What do we have coming up with the Mizuno Americas Open? It's a debut event on the LPGA schedule, and they're playing at a really great venue, Liberty National in Jersey City. It's been the host to the President's Cup, a couple of FedEx Cup playoff events. Now it's on the LPGA schedule, and I think Rose will be the one that has all eyes on her. She has had... Uh, Some people have even described her as the all-time women's greatest uh, in terms of amateur golf. Now she's got to convert it to the professional side, and we're all interested to see how she will do. Uh, She uh, hired a professional caddy that's one that has worked with a couple of major champions in the past, Jason Gilroy, and uh, we'll see how she does against a field that includes Lydia Ko, Ataya Titicul, Brooke Henderson, Minji Lee, and Jennifer Cupcho. Uh, also, a little bit of news outside of the tournament, Jessica Corda, six-time LPGA winner, Nellie's older sister, uh, but she has announced that she's going to have to take some time away from the tour. She has a back issue that is not clearing up, so she is going to go rest it a little bit more, and uh, we hope that she gets back on tour as soon as possible. Yeah, hopefully that's a speedy recovery. Uh, we also have the Memorial Tournament this weekend. No slight to Emiliano Grillo and Adam Shank, but it will be good to see the best players in the world back on the course. And we will have plenty of them, eight of the top ten in the latest Data Golf rankings, and that's including all of the top seven, which if you're invited to Jack Nicholas's tournament, I don't see why you wouldn't go to Muirfield Village. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, Just a who's who, obviously, the top three names are the same top three names that we talk about every week that they're entered. Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, they are the headliners. But uh, also Patrick Cantlay, Uh, interesting stat on Patrick Cantlay is if you take Tiger Woods out of the mix, Patrick Cantlay is now the all-time leading money winner at the Memorial Tournament. Two-time champion, has had at least one second place there. So he's also in the mix and kind of a favorite to uh, win it again. Uh, But uh, Xander Schauffele, Tyrrell Hatton, uh, like I say, just a who's who field as they all uh, go up and uh, sample Muirfield Village and its amazing milkshakes. (laughs) 
<laughs> There's a little tidbit for you. If you're heading up to Columbus this weekend, make sure you swing through and get a milkshake. That'll do it, though, for our golf segment. We, I believe, covered everything. It was pretty pretty extensive. And uh, just in terms I can't of think the, of any, unless you want to go into the KLM Open or something <laughs> like that. Uh, I think we've given people enough niche Pedro Larothable, just in case anybody's wondering now that we've opened the can. There you go. No slights to Pedro. We got him in there. Don't want to don't want to hear any complaints. Don't want to see anything in the the inbox about it. But um, thank you, Jeff, for for putting that together. Uh, that actually will conclude our week. A fairly short podcast this week. We're trying to you know get things going here in the summer. But we'll be back with another podcast next week. I want to thank Jeff again for being in here with me today. Thank you to uh, Chris Siegel and Keith Perlman, our editors, who allow us to do this each week. And thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in every week. We always appreciate it. If you have an extra moment, uh, whatever platform you're listening to us on whether it's spotify google play apple podcasts wherever you get them uh if you have time to leave us a like rating and review we appreciate that as well so for myself for jeff shane for everyone here at the daily sun in our sports department thank you again and we'll see you next week out on the playing fields 